The process of landing investment banking job offers can often feel like a black box, which leads to confusion and anxiety for most of the candidates going through it. Hey, my name is Sam Shaw, and I'm the founder of Wall Street Mastermind. I've personally coached numerous students on how to successfully break into top-tier investment banks, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Centerview, Evercore, and PJT Partners, just to name a few. On this podcast, I'm going to help you demystify the investment banking recruiting process by sharing what the clients of Wall Street Mastermind have done to get results like these. Enjoy this episode. Hey guys, if you like this episode today, I want you to go and click the subscribe button to make sure that you get all of our future episodes as well, as we put out multiple episodes of valuable content every single week to help you with your investment banking recruiting process. Okay, now today I want to talk about uh, how you can get to a million dollars in net worth um, in the shortest amount of time. Now, I want to uh, not just talk about it, but put some real numbers behind it, right? This will be more of a thought exercise uh, as opposed to like saying, you know, this is exactly what's going to happen, which obviously, you know, the reality is going to be different for every single person. But we're just going to make some very reasonable assumptions and show you two totally different paths in terms of what could happen with your uh, lifetime earnings potential and your career trajectory, okay? Um, I know a lot of students that we speak to, they have aspirations of one one day becoming uh, a millionaire, right? Or sometimes even a, 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 a not just millionaire, but they don't want to just <clears throat> be worth seven figures, but maybe even eight figures, right? But I think... Sometimes these numbers get so astronomical and most people have never had a million dollars before that it just sounds great and has a great ring to it. They don't really know exactly what it's going to take to get to that million dollar mark, right? And so I want to just show you um, some quick and dirty back of the envelope calculations in terms of uh, numbers, okay? So first, what I did here was I'm showing you what you could expect to make as an investment banker uh, after you graduate, right? And I'm just making some reasonable assumptions. So I've mapped out the first 10 years of someone's career in investment banking. And this is assuming that you land at like, you know, one of the top banks, like a reputable, it's called like a board vacuum or elite boutique bank, okay? So starting with your pre-tax income, this includes your salary as well as your uh, bonus year end. Obviously, your first year, you're going to start as a uh, first-year analyst. And then by your 10th year, if everything goes according to plan, you'll probably be an analyst for three years, you're an associate for another three years, your VP, say, for another three years. And then by the time you're you know, 30 years old, 10th year out of school, you should be probably um, a, a first-year director in banking, right? And so the pre-tax uh, compensation here, I've just taken these as um, like ballpark numbers that you can go do your own research on these to verify that this is accurate, but you're going to find that, you know, plus or minus, obviously depends on the bank, depends on the group you're in. Everyone's going to be a little bit different. And also the more senior you get, uh, the more variance there will be in terms of your, um, your, your uh, uh, overall compensation because the bonus is going to have bigger swings, but as a first-year analyst, <clears throat> on average, let's say you're starting out around $130,000. Then it goes up, up to one fifty, your second year. Then it goes up to one seventy, your third year. <clears throat> then by the time you're an associate, 
you're making anywhere from let's call it 250 to 400 thousand dollars then by the time you're a VP and up uh, you're making anywhere from 500 to 750 thousand dollars a year okay 750 thousand dollars a year let's say by the time you make director so overall like within the first 10 years of your career you're taking home about 3.9 million dollars right that's um, that's the sum of your first 10 year salary uh, plus bonus okay now obviously you don't get to take home all of that you're gonna pay taxes on it right for a simplifying assumption I've assumed that you paid 30% taxes um, which we can come back and play with this assumption later on but for now let's just assume okay so 30% uh, tax rate that means that even though you made 3.9 million dollars uh, over the first 10 years you're only taking home about 2.7 okay and I say only but you're taking home about 2.7 million dollars and then in terms of your living expenses here I'm again making some assumptions and of course you can play with these numbers too but the assumption I made is, is that your first year out of school let's say you're living in New York City because you're working in investment banking your rent is probably going to be on average around three thousand dollars a month um, and again you can go Google uh, like you know what's the average rent in New York City but I think three thousand dollars is a reasonable assumption for someone fresh out of school in a city like New York maybe you have roommates you know and depending on what area you live in and then I added another uh, $2,500 or so um, for like all of your other expenses. So this is like food, utilities, you know, entertainment, whatever. Again, you can make this number higher if you want. You can make it lower. doesn't really matter. But let's say, say you're spending $5,500 a month. That means over 12 months in a year, you're going to spend $66,000, right? So after taxes, you brought home around $91,000 and you're spending sixty six. So you have excess income or disposable income of another $25,000 left at the end of the year, okay? Now, I also assume that <clears throat> as you make more money over time and as you get older, your living expenses are going to go up, right? Because you're not going to always live with roommates. Eventually, you're going to you know, start dating. You might get married. You might even eventually have kids. And so for now, I've just assumed that your cost of living is also going to go up by 10% a year, right? So by your 10th year out of school, you went from spending $66,000 a year to $156,000, okay? And this is just like, obviously, look, you might get married, you might start a family, but also, you know, your spouse might work. And I'm not factoring their income into this, right? I'm just talking about you right now. So <clears throat> I'm growing your expenses at 10% a year. And then so column D, minus column E here gets this column F, which is your excess income. So your first year, like I said, you have about $25,000 of excess income. And then that grows over time because your earnings is growing so much faster, um, especially when you work in banking. It's growing by, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a year, right? Whereas your expenses aren't going up quite as fast, right? Not nowhere close, uh, nowhere anywhere close to that. Right, so your excess income by your fifth year is $138,000, right? And it only goes up from there. By your 10th year, based on these assumptions that we've made so far, your excess income could be $370,000 almost, right? And so this column here, the cumulative savings, is basically just the cumulative running total of your excess income every single year. Right, so if I add up all these numbers, like this is 57, this is uh, 96, 
This is one uh, 191. This is 328. So like after five years, you've saved up about $329,000 in the bank. And this assumes that you just park your money in the bank and you don't invest it at all. You're not growing uh, the excess income that you have. You're not generating a return on it, which is honestly not very realistic, right? But if you look at this, even in this scenario, okay, by year eight, you have broken the $1 million mark. So at that point, you know, if you started out at age 21, by age 28, before you even turn 30, you've now reached just over a million dollars in savings, right? In reality, look, if you're in finance, you're working in banking, and even if you're not in finance, a lot of people, they know that when they have excess income, what are you supposed to do with it? You're supposed to invest it, right? So here to the right, what I've done is I built a table. It's kind of like a waterfall schedule saying, hey, each year, how much excess income am I making? And so you'll see like, you know, these are the, um, th this first year in each cohort, this is the excess income, right? So I'll just highlight that for you. So you'll see this matches this, right? You'll see that this number matches this number, this number matches this number, this number matches this number. So basically we're just taking the excess income every year, we're moving it over here, and then we're assuming some sort of return on our excess income. So here, for now, the baseline assumption is, I assume we can generate at least a 10% return every single year. Why did I pick 10%? Because historically, if you just look at the S&P 500, which is a good proxy for the entire stock market, um, going back to its inception, all the way up to 2019, the average analyzed historic return of the stock market has been around 10%. Okay, so if I just put my money into the stock market every single year, and I close my eyes and I never touch uh, that money ever again, I'll just let it grow. The expectation is that it should grow at about 10% a year. Okay, so if I'm growing <clears throat> my first year's excess income, which is $25,000 by 10% a year, by year 10, because it's compounding at 10% every year, by year 10, that number uh, went from 25,000 and it's grown to 59,000, right? Then we do a similar exercise for year two. Year two, our excess income was higher, it was 32,000. We grow that by 10% a year. By, uh, by year 10, which is nine years out from when it first started, it grows to about 69,000, right? Year three goes from 39 to 76. Year four goes from 94 to 167. Year five goes from 138 to 222 by year 10, and so on and so forth, right? And then what you could do is you can add up um, all of the different cohorts, right? And then so this last row here at the bottom tells you what your total net worth is. This is the amount of money that you have in the bank, right? So if we just grew, if we just invested all of our excess income and we were able to grow it by about 10% a year uh, for the remainder uh, of our life, again, by year eight, you get to about $1.2 million in net worth, right? So same thing, like you, by, by, year, by year 28, basically, uh, or sorry, by, by age 28, you get to about 1.23 million. The difference between this and what we looked at earlier is that if you don't invest at all and you're not earning that 10%, then by year eight, you're at just, you're almost like exactly at $1 million 
Whereas here you have 1.23, so you have an extra $230,000 for investing your money during that time, which is great, right? But regardless, my point is, it doesn't really change that much how long it takes you to get to that million dollar mark. It's about seven or eight years out of school, right? By year 10, you have about $2.2 million. So you can say, you can try to poke holes in this. You can say, well, look, this is like, you know, these are really aggressive assumptions or you're being way too optimistic or whatever. You know, we can we can build a more um, conservative case, right? We can raise our taxes from 30% to 40%, let's just say. Okay, 40% is really high, by the way. Okay, so that now that pushes out our uh, $1 million a year to, from year eight to year nine, right? By year eight, we only get to $908,000. So in year nine, we get to 1.25. Still not too shabby, right? Let's say my lifestyle is grow. Uh, my lifestyle is creeping up a lot faster than 10%. Let's say I'm increasing it by 20% a year, okay? Because I love spending money. I like buying nice things. I like going shopping or, you know, I'm dating uh, a girl that likes expensive bags and I have to buy her presents all the time, whatever, okay? Let's double that. Let's, let's double your... Uh, the growth of your living expenses from 10% to 20% a year. Then we look out, okay, now at the end of year 10, you only get to about $848,000. Okay, so not quite a million dollars. Now it's probably going to take you uh, out until year 11 or year 12 maybe to get to that million dollars, right? But again, I'm being really punitive here with these assumptions. I'm assuming you're going to pay 40% taxes every year and I'm assuming that you're going to spend 20% more in costs every single year. If you just think about the pace of inflation or how quickly prices are increasing, typically inflation grows at like two or three percent every year. So if you're spending 20 percent more uh, in expenses year after year every year, um, that's like you're 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 significantly improving your lifestyle basically, right? By your tenth year out of school, your your live annual living expenses is three hundred forty thousand dollars a year. That's almost twenty thousand dollars a month. You got to think about what kind of lifestyle you could have if you could spend $20,000 a month, right? Um, probably not. You're probably not going to spend that much money, right? Or you don't need to, at least you could, but you don't need to, right? How do we get this back to ten uh, to a million dollars within 10 years? What if we could do better than 10%? 10% is just, again, the overall market return, right? Uh, what if you could do 15%? Now you're at 984000 That's pretty much almost a million dollars. Right, so this is a nice little calculator that you can play with. If I bring this back down, living expenses grows by 15% a year. Now I'm back in business. Now I'm back at a million dollars by year nine. Right, so regardless though, the point is, if the the most important thing is still the starting point. It's like, how much money are you bringing in pre-tax? Right, because if you have this type of earnings trajectory pre-tax, then you're going you're gonna to eventually hit a million dollars. It's just a matter of time, right? It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when, right? Now let's look at an alternate scenario, okay? So I call the second scenario the average trajectory, right? And so same thing, we're going to go 10 years out, okay? The, and I don't know, you know, this is basically assuming if you, you're not doing banking, you're just an average college grad in the United States. So... Year one through year 10 out of school, your pre-tax income. I started your year one income at $51,000. Why did I pick $51,000? Well, if you go do a quick Google search, I just searched for average US college graduate salary, you'll see that 
it's about $51,000. And there's different sources that you can look into. They all come out around fifty to $51,000. I've checked multiple sources before and this is ballpark correct. So I'm just gonna use $51,000, okay? Um, this is based on 2019 survey, uh, survey data, right? And then I'm gonna say, okay, how much will we grow our annual uh, compensation by every single year? Well, I would say for most people, it's probably anywhere between I don't know, three to 5% a year, right? Like if you just stay at your job and you just gradually get promoted and you gradually get like get slight bumps in your pay raises every single year, it's typically around three to 5% a year in my experience, okay? Um, in, a, in a regular job that is. And, and just from seeing my other friends and classmates from college and whatever that have gone into those fields, right? We can also sanity check this. We say, hey, I actually looked this up, right? So I found this article. Here's how much grads earn 10 years after attending the best universities in America, okay? So I know not everyone attends the best universities in America, but let's just assume that that's a good proxy, right? So this is based on U.S. Department of Education's college scorecard, which provides the median earnings of federally aided students 10 years after enrolling. CNBC looked at the stats for the top 10 universities in America, okay? And so at number 10 was the University of Chicago, right? 10 years after graduating, okay, $65,500 is how much they're making 10 years out of school. And who are the rest of the schools on the list? CIT, Duke, Columbia, Princeton, UPenn, Yale, Stanford, Harvard, MIT. So basically like all the Ivy League schools plus some of the other very elite Colleges like, you know, Stanford and uh, CIT and schools like that, okay, in Chicago. So these are like the who's who's, right? These are like the best colleges out there. The highest uh, average salary or average compensation was MIT. So MIT, 10 years after graduating, was around $94,000. So basically the range, 10 years out of school, the range was anywhere from 65500 to 94,000, okay? So if we keep that number in mind, if we come back to our calculator, if you're starting at 51, and you grew your salary by 3% every year, then pretty much by year 10, you get to around $66,000, which is that Chicago number, okay? And again, this is basically the 10th school here, right? Then, what if we bump this up to say 5%? Okay, then you get to about 79,000 by year 10. What if I bump this up to 7.5%? Let's be a bit more aggressive. Let's say I can increase my salary by 7.5% a year because I'm a rock star. Okay, now in year 10, you're making $98,000, which, by the way, is kind of that MIT number that we saw, right? 94, so it's a little bit more than that, right? So. If you grow by 7.5%, you're still under $100,000 a year by the time you're 30. Versus if you were in investment banking, you were already making way over $100,000 a year your first year out of college when you were just 21. By the way, like when you're 21, you have you don't have a family, you don't have a you know, wife or husband or kids to take care of. It's just yourself. When you're 30, you're probably going to have all those things. You're going to have a lot more expenses. And so... It's not just a compensation that's higher, but like your, your cost of living is also going to be higher as well, right? 
Now, we're not even done yet, right? Let's say, okay, so let's be aggressive. Let's assume that you do increase your compensation by 7.5% a year. Let's assume that by year 10, you're making just under $100,000, which is similar to what you know college grads from the top schools are making, right? These are all very optimistic assumptions. Let's assume that your tax rate is only 30%, okay? Um, your take-home comp post-tax, 10 years out of school, going from $98,000, you take away 30%, is still $68,000. You're only taking home $68,000, right? You look at $68,000, you compare that, that, that's the living expenses we assume pretty much for the investment banking analysts for their first year out of school. That's about $5,500 a month. Except for the investment banking analysts, we were looking at that in year one. For this scenario, the average trajectory, that's year 10 out of school. You know, so you're, for living expenses, here, basically, I'm not even growing it by 10%. I'm just assuming because the, the take-home comp is so low, you're pretty much spending all of your money. You're spending all of your money that you're taking home. This is the definition of living paycheck to paycheck, right? Think about it, like up here with all these super aggressive assumptions, you're 10th year out of school, you're spending $230,000 a year, which is almost $20,000 a month, versus here, I'm saying you're gonna spend one-fourth of that, a quarter of that, $68,000, a, a little bit more than a quarter, but you get the point. It's like, there's just not a whole lot of money left sitting around and basically your excess income is going to be zero. So your savings is going to be zero. Your bank account is always just like barely breaking even. There's nothing to speak of in terms of investing or whatever. So none of this stuff to the right even matters, right? And then so forget about a net worth of a million dollars. Like even at the pre-tax income level over 10 years, you've only made $721,000 through the first 10 years of your career, and that's before you pay taxes, before you pay for all your living expenses, before all of that. That's how drastically different this can be. So I think a lot of times when I try to explain to people the difference in terms of your career trajectory, in terms of your financial trajectory, in terms of your net worth, um, people don't really understand what I'm talking about. Like they just think like, oh yeah, yeah, I know investment bankers make a lot of money. You know, like I know they make $100,000 plus first year out of school. You can't just think about the first year out of school. You got to think about the first 10 years out of school, the first 20, 30, 40 years. Like you're going to be hopefully around for a long time, right? And this this doesn't just affect your starting point. It affects the slope of your trajectory over time, right? Like if your slope is steeper, you know, your earnings is growing faster, everything compounds because now you have access income. Now you can invest. Now you're going to, your net worth is actually growing. You're not just making money with your time by work slaving away at a, you know, nine to five job. You're making money at work, but you're also making money uh, with all of your excess income. You're investing, right? And anyone who's ever become wealthy became wealthy at least partially through investing. No one ever got wealthy uh, by just working. Right, because we only have 24 hours in a day. And you gotta sleep too. So like there, there's really only so much time in a day. And if you're spending all of your waking hours working even, like you're not still not gonna get very far. Right? So that's why that first career out of school is so, so, so critical. 
so, so, so important. And that's why, you know, we always tell people like, if you invest in a program like Wall Street Mastermind, you know, some people say, oh, but Wall Street, like, well, I don't want to spend money on something like Wall Street Mastermind. I was like, yeah, well, you got to view it as an investment because we have an over 90% success rate with helping people get into investment banking. If we can, like, most likely get you to this first scenario, this type of outcome over your lifetime, like, what do you think this is worth? You know, what, what, what would you, how much would you pay to have this type of outcome? To have an over 90% probability of having this type of outcome? Because that's the return on your investment, right? Like if you want to become an investment, investment banker, you got to learn to view things as an investment when they're investment. You got to have that investor's mindset and be able to figure out what's a good investment versus a bad investment. Thanks for listening to this episode. Interested in discovering how you can get personalized one-on-one coaching from Wall Street Mastermind to help you beat out the massive amount of competition out there? Head on over to www.wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. And the street is abbreviated to ST, so it's really wallstmastermind.com slash apply. And our team looks forward to speaking with you.